0: from John chapter 19, verses 28 to 36. You might think a little bit strange that today's Resurrection Sunday and and we're looking at something that happens on the cross. It'll make sense. Don't worry, hang in there. Did you know that Leonardo da Vinci's 15th century masterpiece, The Last Supper, you know that it is technically unfinished. In most pictures that we see today, it shows a roof. But in Milan, and I don't know who's among you here would have been there and actually saw it. In person, I haven't. In Milan, where the painting lies, the roof is actually incomplete. You didn't know that. And Leonardo's not going to finish it. Many a project, you see, many a project, whether it's art, whether it's a painting or a a musical masterpiece or it could be a construction project, it could be... Something educational. You start a course and you say, "I'm going I'm to finish it." We all know about this. We, we, we start something with a lot of enthusiasm, and as it continues, it, it, the, the interest and excitement starts to wane. So it takes a lot of determination and, and sheer grit to finish what you started. And obviously there is a certain sense of satisfaction having to finish and complete what you start. Now on this Easter 2019 we continue our series on the seven words of Jesus on the cross. So I want to reflect on Jesus' second last words, it is finished. Three simple words in our English language and it can have various meanings according to the context in which it is used. But when it is spoken by our Saviour, as he was dying on the cross, they take on a whole new significance. In the original Greek language, it is actually only one word, not three words, tetelestai, which was a, tetelestai was actually a very common word, everyday Greek word. The teleste means it is finished, it is accomplished, it is completed, it is paid, the work is done, the work stands done, finished, and will always be finished. We move to the spiritual realm, and Jesus' words seem a little remote, perhaps even a little bit out of place. How is it that he can claim it is finished when there is still so much suffering in our fallen world? There is still so much much brokenness. It doesn't feel, it doesn't look like the work is finished as we struggle on. Death is still around us. Suffering is everywhere. So what did Jesus mean when he said it is finished moments before he gave us he gave up his spirit and died, which is the last word from the cross that we're going to look at next week. Well, first of all, the suffering is finished. The suffering has finished. Now, I find uh, going to the dentist one of the most disliked things that I have to do. And what makes it more painful is the anticipation of going to the dentist. Most times we have an idea of what we're up against. I ain't going. And the thing is that once we are there and he gets his big rusty needle out and sticks it in your jaw, kids, block your ears, all right? It's a wonderful experience. It's great. It's fantastic. <laughs> Once he numbs everything, you can't feel anything. You know, can't, you know. You knock your side of your mouth and you just give me another punch, I don't feel it. And then the drilling starts. <laughs> Jesus went through agony in the garden of Gethsemane. So and that's in, in the Garden of Gethsemane is where things were settled with the Father and the determination was made. We have to do this. We have to complete the task. Is there another way? No, there isn't another way. The, the pain was real. The suffering was real. The agony was real. The, the, the sweat were like drops of blood. That is extreme agony because of what was to come. He could see it. He could feel it. So the pain started way before, way before the event itself. But he was ready for this hour. And more than once he tried to, to tell his disciples about this hour, about what was going to happen, about their reaction and how they would fall away. And they didn't comprehend the enormity the complexity, they, they could not possibly understand. And at times, it, by, by their reaction, it almost feels like the, his disciples were on another planet, on a parallel universe somewhere. Now, when James and John requested places of honour in his coming kingdom, they did it through the mother, we know, but basically James and John... As far as we know, they were cousins, first cousins of Jesus. Jesus mentions the cup he had to drink and the baptism that he had to undergo. And afterwards, we have Peter who confessed that he was the Christ. And after the confession, Jesus turned to his disciples and began to tell them from that time on, from that time on, Jesus began to explain. It it wasn't just something that was a, a, a... you know, off-the-cuff type of comment. He actually explained to them, to his disciples, that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Let me just say that for Jesus, this was not a trip to the dentist. There would be no anesthetics. There would be no nice words from the dentist. It'll be okay. But now, the anticipation of the event, the event itself, is just about over. In fact, it is finished. The shame, the suffering, the agony a past. Never again shall he experience pain like this again. Never again would the Trinity have to undergo this, this, this suffering. God, the three in one, have to go, have to forsake the Son for the sake of us. Never again will God have to suffer like this in Jesus incarnate. Never again shall he be in the hands of common men or even Satan. Never again shall he be separated from the Father. All that is now finally finished. That is finished. Secondly, the atonement is finished. The atonement is finished. Under the old system, A priest would say the Hebrew version of the telestai in relation to the sacrifice that was offered by someone at the temple. When someone came to the temple to offer a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins, the priest would proclaim the telestai to say that it is perfect, it is accepted. It means that the person could walk out of the the, the temple with a feeling that, he has been forgiven by God for the sins that he has committed. That was a system that was set up. And the moment that the individual walked out of the temple, uh, the sin was paid for, it was atoned for, there was no need to keep the tape running, the, the guilt to continue, because in his conscience that is the end of it, for, for now at least, until next time. Uh, forgiveness was there. Furthermore, and this is where the event ties up to the resurrection. These words of Jesus are tied to the resurrection because once a year on the Day of Atonement, it was the the, the most sacred day in the Jewish calendar, the Day of Atonement, the priest, the, the high priest, would enter the Holy of Holies. And as he was about to. Into the, the holy of holies, the priest had to be good. In fact, he had to be very good. In fact, he had to be more than good. He had to be pretty, pretty, pretty perfect. Now, if, if the priest—and we know the history of the priests—and many of them were pretty bad dudes, they were bad eggs. So, what would happen is that because the holy of holies, no one could go in there, right? So what they would do is the priest, they would tie a rope around the priest as he entered the Holy of Holies. So that if once he entered in there and if he didn't come out because he was struck down by God, because he failed to offer the, the sacrifice correctly, if he died there behind the veil, no one could actually go in there because they would also be killed. So what I would do is, you know, okay, let's pull, another one. That means that the sacrifice failed. And we know what happened to the whole temple system. No one was ever really good enough, were they? in like manner. Jesus was encased in a tomb, his body laid. But when he came forth, that glorious, glorious morning, the resurrection, after the atonement for our sins, giving Himself for our sins on the cross. What it shows, the fact that if He did come out, there was no need for a rope. He came alive. He came out. His offering was accepted. It was more than accepted. It was perfect. No other sacrifice would ever be this perfect. He went to the Holy of Holies. And he came back fully alive from death to life. The most perfect priest who is himself the lamb was able to declare then from the cross it is finished. And then the empty tomb is God's approval, God's amen. God's confirmation that when Jesus said it is finished, God's confirmation when he brought him back to life, is saying yes, it is. Hallelujah, praise. Praise the Lord, praise the Son. It is finished. The Bible tells us that the Son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Where do you find people who are lost? This day an age of mobile phones and uh, Google Maps. People still get lost, believe it or not. But are we talking about geographical lostness or are we talking about something else? It is something else. Yes, you can go to the highways and byways, to the pubs and the clubs and the brothels and prisons. These are the places where you would assume, we tend to assume that the lost people hang out. But the lost people are also on company boards, university campuses, in the workplaces and in church. This is why the Bible's definition of lost is much wider. We're all lost. We need to be found. We need to be rescued. We need to be redeemed. Isaiah says, We all, all of us, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And being lost has deadly consequences. The place of death is the condemnation of God. Therefore sinners could only be saved by the perfect one taking their place, bearing their sins and going through death. Our sins could only be taken away by, uh, by the, their being blotted out by the precious blood of Jesus. There was no other way. Surely there must be another way. No, there isn't. The demands of justice must be met. The requirements of God's holiness must be satisfied. Otherwise, God himself would not be holy enough. In this day and age of so much uh, political correctness and, and uh, people don't want to take offense at anything, really, it is particularly relevant that this. There's a story of Mary Ann. Mary Ann called herself a Christian and believed in God and his son Jesus but she struggled with why Jesus had to shed his blood to bring salvation. Who would think of cleansing something with blood? It's so gory, it's so disgusting, it's horrible. Even when you buy your meat from the butcher, you you don't want a speck of blood in there. Somebody else has already drained it all and we want it all nice and clean and packaged and and bubble wrapped and and shrink wrapped and, and, and... Bang! Because we don't want to see in. Who would think then of cleansing something? with blood. The Bible says the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. Hebrews nine twenty two. In Mary Ann's opinion, this was simply disgusting. Then one day she had to go to hospital. She had a genetic condition that altered her immune system, and doctors became alarmed when the illness started attacking her blood. As she was in the emergency room, she thought, It's in my blood now. I'm gonna die. But Jesus shed his blood. So I can live. Suddenly everything made sense. In the midst of her pain, she felt a joy, a peace. She understood that blood is life. In the blood is the life. And a holy life was needed to make peace with God for us. And yes, today she is alive and well, thanking God for her health and for Jesus' sacrifice. On her behalf. Hebrews 9 explains the meaning of the Old Testament blood ritual. The law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And thanks to Jesus, once and for all, that offering that brought the whole animal sacrifice ritual, that whole system, came to an end, bearing our sin. He willingly died and shed his blood to become our sacrifice. And this is one of the the departures where evangelical churches have with the Catholic Church. The Catholic system is basically an Old Testament system where the whole ritual is repeated over and over and over and over again. Jesus is sacrificed over and over again. It's a big difference. I'm saying no once and for all. Bearing us in, he willingly died, shed his blood, he became our sacrifice. Now we have the confidence to enter God's presence, into the Holy of Holies. We don't have to have a rope attached to us. Because Jesus went there. How would we ever be thankful enough? Jesus for making the sacrifice, his life, our life, his father, now our father who is in heaven. What else is finished? Satan's power is finished. The cross marked the beginning of the end for the devil's controlling power. As we look around us, like I said before, it's it's a bit hard to to believe this truth, two thousand years of human history is 2,000 years of human misery, so many wars. But even at the time, it looked like it looked like the, the moment of the devil 's greatest triumph. What he couldn't accomplish in the forty days in, in the wilderness was Jesus. He continued to to chip away at Jesus and then he thought that, yes, yes, they're finally at the cross. It looked like the devil had won. But as Jesus declared it is finished, the devil might have even understood it. Yes, you are finished. But looks can be deceiving and it is something that we need to accept by faith. In this one word, to Jesus declared a fact, a truth, so wonderful that, that even Satan has been busy ever since. He's been busy ever since trying to hide this from the minds of men and women and young people and, 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 and children, the meaning of this wonderful triumphant cry from the cross. There was unbelief then. There is unbelief today. 2,000 years of unbelief. You do it everywhere. You just open the papers and they're going to come up with all these theories about the resurrection and the implication and blah, blah, blah. It just goes on, doesn't it? Unbelief is all around us. But to all those who believed, I hope and pray that all of us here truly do believe. Jesus said this as he in John, as we read, John chapter 12, verses 27 to 32. Just, just, just listen, just, just feel the words that he prays here. He says, now my heart is troubled, And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. What did that sound like? I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Was it a thunder? Was it a whisper? It says here that the crowd that was there and heard it Said he had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus said, Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Judgment. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, will be driven out, will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. In view of the cross, Jesus declared that the prince of this world will be driven out. It is true that Satan has n- not yet been chained and cast into the bottomless pit. Nevertheless, sentence has been passed, though not yet executed. His doom is certain and his power has already been broken so far as believers are concerned. You're no longer under his control. That's what it means. You are no longer slaves to sin. The devil is no longer your father. God is our father. So for us Christians, let us remember that the devil is defeated. He's a defeated foe. He no longer has a legitimate claim upon us. You can no longer say, I cannot help it. Yes, you can. You're no longer slaves to sin. So for us Christians, don't don't fear the devil. Fear God. He no longer has any legitimate claim upon us once we were his prisoners but Christ has freed us he's broken the shackles he's broken the chains all that we now have to do is resist the devil and what and he will flee from you he will be driven out because Christ's power is in us we have to believe this we have to believe this what are the finished results? It is too easy to state, of course, Jesus died on the cross for me without, without it having any, any impact on how we live. Yes, there will be, on this day, there will be millions, millions upon millions of people right around the, the world who will try and do the religious duty and turn up to church at least once or twice a year and, and do the right thing and then go on with their lives. Their lives haven't been changed, nothing, no impact. Spurgeon said, it I couldn't put it any better than Spurgeon. He said, how can we remember the cross without sorrowing over the sin which made that death necessary? How can we remember the cross without sorrowing over the sin which made that death necessary? We must therefore go on, go on and see and live in the results of the work of Christ on the cross. Finished work of Christ, the finished work of Christ on the cross. All barriers are gone. All people offered a new beginning. And at uh, one of the events, of course, at Christ's death, we read, then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. We were just talking about the Holy of Holies. The old system, the old sacrificial system, the torn veil, top to bottom, indicates that the way was open, not for God to come out, but for us to enter in. Because Christ entered in. We are offered access to God Himself. No earthly priest, no altar, no sacrifice necessary. Christ, as a result of his finished work, became the new living way to God. I like the way that Billy Graham, the late Billy Graham, said this, and I quote, the death of Jesus on the cross removed the last barrier between God and man. And with the words, it is finished, he announced that the road from man to God was completed and open to traffic. That's the bridge to life, isn't it? Hebrews ten nineteen to 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, His body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Not my words, the words of God in his holy word. There was an, ev- an evangelist in the old days. His name was Ebenezer Wooten. Ebenezer Wooten. Ebenezer is not a name that we use these days, isn't it? What are you going to call your son? I'm going to call him Ebenezer. (coughs) Englishman. Not the first Englishman to be a bit eccentric, of course, but many years ago, he held uh, meetings in a tent as an evangelist. Um, And this time he he was in a village, a small village, and the last service had been conducted... The crowd was leaving and and, and the evangelist in those days the evangelist had to pull the tent down by himself. He put up the tent, he had to take it down. And as he was pulling the tent down a young fellow approached the preacher and and rather casually asked Mr. Wharton, what must I do to be saved? Too late, said the evangelist. Too late. In fact too late my friend, too late. And this startled the, the young man because it wasn't the response that he was hoping for. Don't say that, Mr. Wooten. Surely it isn't too late just because the meetings are over. Yes, my friend, answered the evangelist. He looked straight into his eyes and said, it's too late. You want to know what you must do to be saved. And I tell you that you're hundreds, thousands of years too late. The work of salvation is done completed, finished. It was finished on the cross. Jesus said so with the last breath that he drew. What more do you want? And then and there the truth dawned on this young man. There was nothing for him to do to finish the work that the Lord Jesus had made perfect on the cross. There was nothing for him to do but to accept it to fall on his knees and accept the finished work of grace. See, the work of salvation is all done. The gift is there. Jesus said it was finished. So how much is left for us to do? With regard to salvation, nothing. Remember that the difference between the world's religions, all of the world's religions and Christianity is one word, a difference in one word, do and done. One is what you have to do, the other one is our faith is what has been done. There is positively nothing left for us to do in the matter of salvation of our souls. You cannot work for it. You cannot earn it. What you you have to do, if you have to do anything, is accept it. Rejoice in it. That's what you have to do. And yes, it is finished. But for us, it is not over. The work of salvation is over but the work of proclaiming his love to others is not over. The work of living for Jesus is not over. Discipleship. Growing into the measure of Christ. The the, the work of being Joshua chapter 1. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. The work don't be a coward, keep going, keep going. Why? Because we already, the victory is ours. The victory is ours. We don't have to wonder whether we're going to win, we're going to lose. No, Victory's victory is ours. We're on the winning side, we're on the winning team because of what our Lord has done. It is not over because God made us, the church, to continue the work that he started. And the promise is that whatever he starts, he will finish. He will bring it to completion. We are his witnesses to the world. We are the salt and light. We had to proclaim the truth. many times I want it to be over but it will not be over until he comes again. And the time I don't know when this is going to happen could happen today could happen a hundred years from now but by that time most of us will be in his presence anyway so you don't have to worry about that. But let's rejoice in our salvation. And again, I have, to, I have to ask you, I have to bring the invitation. It's not mine, it is God's invitation. If, if anyone is here who has yet to, 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 to know peace with God, to know, to cross that bridge, to, to understand what it means to be saved, I, I, you need to consider this. This is serious. This is life and death. This is the message of salvation. This is what the cross is all about. This is what the empty tomb is all about. So if you're, if you're here this morning and you're still struggling with this stuff, please, please come to Jesus. You will need clarification. I might say it's too late. The service is finished. no. The gospel is still here. I hope and pray that you will take Jesus' word seriously. Take seriously what Jesus has done for us and come to him and accept him as your Lord and Saviour. And if you're still doubting, why are you doubting? Believe. Believe. May God bless us as we continue... As we continue to proclaim his truth and as his life becomes our life, as we continue as his witnesses in this world. Let us pray. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your life, for your death, for the resurrection, for the words that are sacred, which are here kept for us in your holy word in Scripture we can meditate, that we can access your throne of grace. It's been open for us, that the work is finished, the work is done. But for your children, for those who are here, Lord, we continue your work until the day you call us to your presence or the day you return. Give us the strength, the courage, Continue to proclaim the good news. May we do so, Lord, with a sense of urgency because one day it will be too late. One day the offer will be taken away and then judgment. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the resurrection and thank you for your life. In Jesus' name.